Liberating Your Story is about unraveling who you are from the programming that formed your worldview. You have control of who you want to be and how you want to tell that story. Your story is who you are. So, let's liberate it. I'm Jessica Travis, and this is the Liberate Your Story podcast. Submission is a dirty word. I absolutely hate what this belief has done to both women and men. And I've been responsible for perpetuating its hurtful agenda. Every pastor has three parts of scripture that they wrestle with teaching from the pulpit. The first is Leviticus. It's full of bizarre rules and laws that they jump through hoops to make sense of for their congregations. It's misogynistic and likely one of the most politically incorrect books of the Bible. It gives laws for how to deal with, quote, dwarfs, unquote, when and where men can spill their seed, and who owns the widows. The second is Revelations. I actually found this book one of the most fascinating due to its secret code written for the liberation from Rome. But most don't see this book this way and try to find its meaning as an end times prophecy. Maybe it's both, but pastors are very careful how to take this piece of literature into the common setting of church pews. The third is Paul's teaching on the submission of women to their husbands and to men in the church. A woke pastor will try to emphasize the idea of mutual submission and submission to Christ. A fundamentalist We'll make sure the hierarchy of roles is outlined and that we are inspired to fall in line with it as our desire to be a godly woman. I've experienced hurtful teachings from all three of these particular parts of the Bible, but the last one is truly the most hurtful to all of us. It fit well with purity culture, which I discussed in the last episode. I did not know my world outside of the idea of a wife being submissive to her husband and to the male leadership of the church. Sometimes it was more blatant than others, and if I'm honest, I think that was easier to wrap my head around. It was the subtlety of a woman not being trustworthy enough to engage God in the same way men could that really damaged me at my core. My own dad made sure there was always clarity in those roles. Women could not teach over men, and the final decisions were up to the man to determine. I truly believe now that he was afraid. He was insecure and needed to step deeply into his masculinity for his confidence and worth. So, wives submit to your husband suited him very well. But as a child, your home culture doesn't always feel right or wrong. It just feels normal. And I had a mom who lived a mission of peace and love to all. She took up the mantle of being a Titus II woman. Titus II women were those older women teaching the younger women. This mission gave many of us purpose within the church as homemakers, mothers, wives, and honorable women of the church. But my mom was like me. She asked a lot of questions. And together, 
We asked many of the questions we weren't supposed to be asking. It has actually been a beautiful bond between us. As a teen, I remember being so curious about the Bible, what it taught and how it was meant to be lived out, that I spent literally all of my extra time in intensive Bible studies or at the kitchen table with my dad deciphering the Greek or in any circle I could find that was deep and analytical thinking about our belief system. I didn't know this then, but this was the beauty of my HSP in play. There was also this calm but fierce lioness inside me beginning to rise out of a very small box. I was learning, learning, and learning. I learned all the things I could. In my learning, I kept coming to this one passage in Proverbs 31, the good wife portion of scripture. It was particularly bothersome to me. After a lengthy description of the conduct of an honorable wife in the first 12 verses and then the first eight verses after, there is this little verse, verse 23, that stuck out like a sore thumb to me. Quote, Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Unquote. I wanted to know, like deeply know why the list for an honorable woman included everything from her sewing skills to her work ethic. But the husband got to sit at the gate with the elders and be respected. It brought up so many rabbit holes for me. First, I wanted to know what they were discussing at the gate because I think I might like to be part of that discussion. I also wanted to know why he received so much public respect while his wife was doing so much for him. I actually, at the time, didn't mind the idea of her list of honorable wife things, but I wondered what he was doing if she was the entrepreneur, homemaker, child raiser, and wisdom keeper. Like I said, many rabbit holes. There were so many questions I had on just this one little chapter. The bottom line was that I had thoughts, so many thoughts and questions that I found whatever space I could to satisfy the curiosities my soul and mind had. Once I was no longer a teen going to our Tuesday night inductive Bible study, the mixed group conversation started to change. The men and women started to meet separately. So I went to the spaces that women were allowed to discuss in while still finding my way to any mixed group conversation that I could. But most, not all, of the women's circles were homemaking focused. This was just not stimulating enough for me. It was filled with comparison and inadequacies. You see, I wasn't crafty. I was a thinker. The closest I could get to what I was seeking was a large Titus II ministry in Phoenix of over 300 women on a weekly basis. My mom taught child training classes there and I even helped her out a bit once I had my own kids. But the purpose of this gathering was that us younger women were there to be taught by the older, wiser women. Maybe one day I could be the older woman and take all that I was learning into my older years. I mean, that was the goal, to be the older woman. It was biblical womanhood 
In fact, the main teacher, Naomi Wright, was an author of several Christian books and the wife of a successful Christian author. Together they did many ministries regarding biblical marriage lived under the umbrella of Christ. Some of the topics that she talked on included Under the Umbrella, God's Divine Order, Behind the Bedroom Door, A Willing Wife is a Winner, 14 Ways to Prevent Affairs, Fitting into Our Husband's Plan, How to Crown Your Husband. Jim and Naomi are no longer living, but Christown Bible Study is still running today, and these ideologies are still being encouraged. In fact, as I went back through Naomi's teachings, I realized that she had titled one of her talks, Submission is Not a Dirty Word. But as I said at the beginning of this episode, when taught as a biblical standard for marriage, it is nothing but dirty. Submission is defined as an act of submitting to the authority or control of another. Naomi would teach us that God had set up his plan for order in our marriages. And that order is for the man to lead and the wife to submit to that leadership just as the church submits to Christ. She would teach us that our problem with our willingness to submit to our husbands was because we believed we were right. And by believing that we were right, we were saying that it is what God wanted. She cautioned us that the Bible teaches us that God tells the husband what is right and is to lead us into what is right. You can find this clearly laid out in her teaching episode, Submission is Not a Dirty Word, approximately three minutes into this talk. The fear we were instilled with was that women are feelers and leading with our feelings would not be wise or reliable and not what God wanted and ultimately would cause destruction in some way. We were allowed to advise our husbands from our feelings, but he would be the one to ultimately make the decision from his logic and God's leading. He was the head and we were the neck. And, quote, God didn't make two heads in a family because two heads are a monster, unquote. She also taught that if our children are showing disobedience to us, then it's because we are modeling disobedience to our husband. As I go back and I listen to these teachings while I write this podcast episode, I realize how many hoops she was asking us to jump through and how much redefining of words like dependence and independence she had done. She wasn't the only one, though. This teaching was spread through the Evangelical Christian Church throughout Arizona and beyond. My own church in Tempe had picked up this teaching as an extension of this very Titus II ministry. The longer I listen to her episodes, the more angry I get to hear the depth of the gaslighting and cultic attributes this type of teaching carried. She cautioned us not to have close female relationships because they would pull us from the relationship with our husbands. This was actually a belief that was more deeply ingrained in me than I ever realized. Other women soon became a threat to me and to my marriage, and I lived most of my married life with very superficial female friendships. And essentially what we did with all of this as women of biblical womanhood is we took up the mantle with the oppressors and passed it on 
we became the oppressors with them. These teachings are still available on their website and podcast. Naomi has since passed away in 2017, but her teachings are preserved online. There are new voices, but the message is the same as when I was attending over 20 years ago. And you may even hear a 20-year-old evangelical voice speaking on a teen day, leading the teenage sheep to purity culture. I really thought I was doing the right thing in this space. I was a stay-at-home mom, and it felt honorable for me to, quote, work on myself in exchange for this privilege. I had accepted this belief as the way I viewed myself and the world around me. That view was that I was not worthy of leading anything but other women and children, and I could not be trusted because I operated from feelings and not logic. These are incredibly powerful beliefs, especially when layered with acceptance by God. Remember, beliefs sit at that deep trance space of our unconscious mind, our operating system. Unless we change a belief, we will use the belief as the baseline for who we are and how we see ourselves fitting into the world around us. This is dangerous space if we aren't careful. If we aren't willing to challenge the belief, then everything else is challenged against the belief, and the belief wins. The thing is, I would come home and discuss it all with my husband, and neither of us were liking what was being taught. It was grating on us in ways we couldn't let pass and sometimes didn't even have words for yet. I was testing my belief against something equally as integrated in my unconscious mind, my intuition, my knowing. I remember a few particular statements taught to us that really stuck with me. Again, rabbit holes I dove headfirst into. And I can say, thank goodness for not being afraid of rabbit holes. One of these statements was a good homemaker tip. Before your husband comes home, throw some garlic in a fry pan to make the house smell welcoming to show that you are preparing a nice dinner for him. So this one just left me feeling utterly manipulative. Why not actually make something? I even did this once to make a ridiculous point that my husband and I got a good laugh over. He saw the ridiculousness of it too. He didn't want a garlic-smelling home. He just wanted us doing life together. The other thing was far more damaging. It was taught by our leader that if we wanted to protect our children from the sexual desires of our husbands, we would protect our marriage by regularly making love to him. I remember the exact moment this was said because I was sitting at a round table with my mom and my grandmother, two of the most beautiful souls I've known. And we all looked at each other and watched the color drain from each other's faces. This is not what we signed up for. I did not want to be married to a man that I was protecting my children from, and I definitely didn't want to be having sex with such a man. I also didn't want to be using sex as a tool. This was the ultimate extension of purity culture. This was also the last day I attended that Bible study. 
Friends, I found that in writing this, I had to make sure my memories were not tainted by my deconstruction. By this, I mean I didn't want to remember something incorrectly, but this one I could feel in my body. It was a moment of trauma. So I went back to find it, and I did. In Naomi's teaching, Behind the Bedroom Door, Part 1, she discusses the ways we protect our marriages and the sexual purity of our relationship. The timestamp on, quote, pushing him into our daughter's arms, unquote, is 30 minutes and 6 seconds. I don't make this shit up. Let me say right now, there is no one responsible for abuse except for the abuser. This is what purity culture after marriage looks like. It holds women responsible sexually for all of the savage activities our husbands may be tempted to engage in. As you can imagine, this was destroying me from the inside out. This was asking me to die to all the beauty I used to see in myself. My thinking, my curiosity, my insight, my voice. It was reducing me to a sexual act and an obedient companion. Friends, this is the truest story I can tell you. I saw so many women crumble under this pressure and expectation. We all wanted to be the godliest women we could, and we were finding ourselves aligning with destructive and crushing programming that has, for me, taken years to heal from. You see, it's not like throwing vegetables into a boiling pot of water. It's like throwing the lobster into lukewarm water and just turning up the temperature little by little. We didn't know we were being burned to death. And we didn't even really try to jump out of the pot. I know this is a morbid analogy, but it's the most accurate one I have. We are women now trying to heal from deep third-degree burns. The healing is long and requires much care. Biblical submission, as it's taught in the fundamentalist and evangelical Christian systems, silences the wisdom, beauty, love, and choice of women. It is oppression. Nothing good comes from it except for men in power and control. Men were making decisions for us, about us, and in spite of us. Our voice was only worthy when it fulfilled the ongoing position of the male leadership. This is patriarchy. Sound like anything familiar in our America today regarding women's self-agency? This is where it comes from. And it's still here, alive and active, because these teachings are still being taught under the mantle of spirituality. Today, I celebrate my 20-year-old self, who chose the man I did to be my life partner. In the early years of our marriage, he often had more problems with this theology than I did, and when he tried to conform at varying levels or within certain leadership circles, he became lost and deeply internally conflicted. When he later became a pastor, this teaching of submission from Paul's book of Ephesians was the one he would never teach on. I think there was one Sunday where his rotation landed on this exact passage, 
and he dove in all kinds of directions to avoid teaching the mandate that many believe this passage speaks to. Casey loved my voice in the world. In fact, he's my biggest fan for what I write and speak about in the world now. And he's not the savage I was taught he was. We are both more than that interchange of sex and submission. You see, it's not just women who need to be liberated from this toxic masculinity, patriarchy, and misogyny. Many men want to be liberated too. They are not whole beings living inside this inequality. Liberate your roles and you liberate your story. I'd love to unravel the language, identities, terms, practices, and beliefs that make you feel stuck or even oppressed. So call or text me, 608-55-STORY. I want to hear from you. 